Hello, welcome to Vaguely Music. I am Kelsey Jacobson. And I'm Ryan Strumpfler. And we are happy to have with us today Double Bar co-owner and my mother dearest, Marcel Gavin. Loud applause. <laughs> so um, we've been trying to hook my mother into coming onto this podcast for a few weeks now, but she's a busy lazy. That's great. She is a busy lazy. <laughs> you know, that's when you're working, but you make sure you don't work too hard. <laughs> that's great. I'm gonna hold I'm on to busy, that. I'm really I'm like a busy that. lazy. <laughs> okay, but no, she's actually a busy lady, and just finished her semester up at Berkeley College of Music. For those of you that don't know, she is on the voice faculty at Berkeley College, um, and has been so for quite some years now. And uh, so, welcome to Vaguely Music, Mama. I'm vaguely delighted to be here. Well, then you're just right on par with where we should be. <laughs> so, um, many people know they recognize my face. They recognize Ryan's face at Double Bar. Sure. But um, a lot of people have seen you around in pictures and brief fly-throughs. Um, but... You are the, or up until more recently, sort of like the quiet partner of Double Bar Music. And the, um, I think it would be awesome for you to kind of give our students an idea of what it is that you do. I practice being. Crickets. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I didn't want to jump in. I really liked that there's an, uh, was an awkward pause there. Thank you. I am co-owner with Kelsey. We started this wonderful little place on a fluke. Uh, it was a 24-hour decision. One minute we were not business owners, and the next minute we were business owners. And the deal at that time was I was teaching at uh, Berkeley, and I was also teaching part-time at UMass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan's alma mater, which is how we met, and how I, actually he ended up here. And um, so there was a, you know, we got into the business with the understanding that I would be the consultant, the uh, quiet, sort of silent partner during those times while Kelsey did all the heavy lifting. And so that's how we started. And then the goal was ideally, as you wanted to phase out, right, of, of, like, uh, you're now retired from UMass Dartmouth. Yes. And um, Double Bar was to become a place that you could make home and have a studio and do what you do. Yeah, because I love working for myself. Um, it's a great thing. And I like to teach, you know, using, utilizing the methods that I enjoy. And, and what do you teach, Ms. Marcel? I teach a survey of vocal styles at Berkeley. I teach um, elements of vocal techniques, and I also teach private students. And at Berkeley, I am known as the voice retraining specialist. So um, I'm one of the people in the department that if you have a damaged voice, you send it to me. And Just the voice. No body needed. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and then Weird. I sort of help, you know, 
put line things and put things back together. So, you know, give you a little resuscitation and get you out there in the workforce again. Yeah. Which is um, something I feel growing up I was spoiled with because that was my normal expectation for what uh, a voice lesson and voice training is. But then I feel like as I got older, I started realizing that a lot of people don't teach that way. That wasn't very common. No, I, I think that, you know, now we're heading toward functional training for voice. But at one time it was more um, either classical technique, which was considered the legitimate training, and then um, or vocal coaching for pop styles. Yeah. But in actuality, there is a very functional, um, anatomically based training for the voice that you can teach for any style you sing. And then the voice becomes like a blank canvas and you grow into the stylistic elements of whatever music should draw you. And I think this is, you know, we have always been really vocalist heavy at Double Bar between myself as a teacher, you as a teacher, Brie, Vieira as oh, a teacher. Yeah. So, and then um, for the first four or so years, my sister Kimberly as a teacher as well. My daughter? Your daughter. <laughs> um, but so that was we were, a weird interaction. <laughs> I know you couldn't see it because you're listening, but you gotta like, you gotta just trust me that was definitely a very weird interaction. Thank you for the visual <laughs> assessment. But, so I feel like students coming in though, right? <clears throat> How would you differentiate between a vocal coaching and a vocal training lesson? Well, a vocal training lesson, I'm voice building. So I'm building your, I'm building your instrument in a coordinated fashion for longevity, for strength, for flexibility. In a vocal coaching, I am training you for the stylistic elements of a particular a musical style that you're desiring to sing. Now they overlap in my lessons, mm -hmm. but if I'm doing a vocal coaching, it's more on about repertoire. Yep. And if I'm doing, a, you know, a voice lesson, it's about anatomy. So, I feel like for voice, that is something Ryan and I have talked about that um, sometimes voice students uh, don't un, are not prepared for lessons in the way that they think they're going to get lessons when they come in because they think they they're just, they're like well i can already sing i'm good I, I can just work on my songs now and when you approach that from a more technical standpoint of of body training essentially right mm -hmm. um then it becomes closer to almost training another instrument right well it's building an instrument that's what makes vocalists so weird mm -hmm. is that our instruments are like not formulated so there are people who have a, a naturally coordinated voice which is what a lot of people call talent and then there are people who do not their bodies are not coordinated efficiently and they're the ones that are seeking uh, vocal training now the nice thing is when a person who's naturally coordinated gets vocal training if they get a cold like I just had and they go, their voice takes a left, they know how to rebuild their voice to get it back into a coordinated default. But if they have no training and you are naturally coordinated and your voice takes a left because of either, you know, allergies or a virus or overwork, 
they don't have the toolkit to realign their instruments sometimes. Right. Yeah, and it's it's tough too. Um, I've taken a good amount of lessons from Kelsey, and the tough part is, especially if you come in having played another instrument at any point, is that you like can see your hands doing something. When you're singing, you like it's so much harder to put stuff to 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 like take in that information and do something because I can't see what's going on here. Like, I, yeah, I can't just like be like, OK, hold on. Let me just open up my throat. I can be able to put a mirror and, and get everything um, there. And we've talked about this before, but there's also a psyche thing that goes into vocal lessons that like. Oh, yeah. We're crazy. Vocals yeah, are crazy because we are. We the, the mechanism, there's all kinds of hormonal receptors in that area for fight and flight. So you add that on top of trying to retrain muscle and the fight and flight. Uh, kicks in the response you're gonna get a singer trying to make sound who's actually kind of choking themselves off and constricting so that's a whole which is why you know we have um, instrumentalists unfortunately I see it a lot with teenage instrumentalists that start to come into their own and become uh, more competent and more aware players who uh are more likely to dismiss sometimes vocalists when they're when they're like, yeah, well, everybody gets stage anxiety, everybody gets stage fright. You just work through it, and and so that always ends up being a discussion, which is like, well, it's a little different when your throat clamps down, <laughs> than oh, I'm my 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 body's shaking or I'm breathing heavy and I'm playing and but but my fingers are doing just fine, mm-hmm. or I still have four limbs that can work independently. Although although some people I know. Um, we knew a drummer who who would have full on body cramps mm. and who would be an, unable to play. So I mean, it manifests, but I think it's just the common state of being for a lot of vocalists. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing thing, and a lot of you know, it's psychological approach. It's sort of framing the situation of learning. If a singer doesn't feel safe, it's awfully hard for them to sing. Yeah, I think in my humble opinion. So just for reference, um, can you just walk us through your personal history of being a vocalist? (laughs) No, I can't. That was a great sound. (laughs) (laughs) No, I cannot. This is a a PG. Um, No. So I started singing late. I started singing later in my 20s, I think. Yeah. And then I think my first thing that I tackled was being a rock and roll singer in college while I was experimenting with a variety of things at that time. And that was fun. And then I, I guess then I, um, I sort of did kind of like folky singer songwritery stuff with uh, one instrumentalist and then I did a whole cabaret I produced this whole big cabaret show which was a theater thing and that toured for a little bit and then I got picked up by a wedding band and then I sang for my supper for a lot of years so that was, um, you know, copying. I call that really, I got a lot of education about musical styles, emulating styles. 
Right, for wedding bands to be yeah. a high end wedding band, that's what they're looking for. Yeah, and we were we were pretty good. You know, we we're pretty high end wedding band. We we had a nice circuit going, and then um, then I had you. You, I, I had lucky you. Yes, I, I was pregnant and I had a baby, <laughs> and I had Kelsey while I was still gigging. Which I have memories of being a small child and going to weddings, still when you were, hmm. when you were. It must have been right at the end of of the wedding band, but I remember going to weddings and uh, dancing yeah. to hot, hot, hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yes. So that and and you came out when she was born. Kelsey was a very loud baby because she had been, of course, inside me for nine months while I was gigging in the nightclubs and weddings, and and so her concept of volume was really warped. Yeah. And I, you know, some of her teachers have her labeled as the loudest child they have ever had in class because her vo- sense of volume was skewed. So. There was that, and then I had Kim, and then I quit the GB thing and became a jazz singer. Mm-hmm. And then from that point, I recorded some discs that did very well. Um, they charted, or they actually they bubbled under. So it was like, if it charts, it's like on the top fifty. I was fifty-five, but I felt like all that because you know I was in between. Bobby McFerrin and Wayne Shorter or something like that. So I was very happy with yeah, that. Yeah, claim those creds. Yeah, I mean, you know, I never charted, but, you know, I was sandwiched between. <laughs> so um, that happened, and I did a couple of discs with Wailing City Sound. Whoops. I did a couple of discs with Wailing City Sound. And then I did some independent work with various musicians in the air. I did some recording with Matt Richard, um, and we have a couple of things that we did together. How did you get into the the teaching piece? Babies. I I couldn't tour. I had children at home. Mm -hmm. And so I had a choice of... um, you know, leaving the music industry or uh, and you know, figuring it out. So I, I began to teach, and then I developed a strong affinity to it. Yeah, very much so. Mm. I did. So. I was I couldn't believe how I um, gravitated toward it and began to love it, and then sort of saw you know viewed it as a calling. What's very cool, because I feel like we get especially. Um, we get a lot of the you know young kids coming up, and and we get to see them freak out about going to college, or or even sometimes thinking about like what they're going to do for high school, with this sense of um, urgency and pressure of like, well, if I haven't made it by, or yeah. if I'm not doing this much by this age, so it's actually very cool to have you start your whole story with, oh well, I started singing when I was already almost almost done college right yeah. and so this is this is the thing too the, the uh, i was gonna bring that up that's the first line that like popped was like well i started late in my 20s right like that's not like there's a whole bunch of professions like if you're an engineer you don't start until your 20s you know there's right so for for musicians like for that to be the typical thing to be like well i blossomed late like it wasn't until like i was in my you know, like you know, I was in my twenties. Like it's like that's crazy that that's late in our profession. Yeah, true that. And I also think it's just uh, I don't know. I was like, I d- I've done everything late, 
everything has been on a late timeline and uh, it's my life's been really a fairy tale so I'm real happy with that because you know it's just been unexpected turns unexpected opportunities I think if I had to say anyone anything to our listeners out there I would say <laughs> if you all this could have seen this my is... face in that moment I'm not quite sure what that sound effect was but we're gonna cut that little oh, sound effect yeah, and use it in the future yeah so for anybody listening who wants to remix that that was the yeah, one yeah that was <laughs> I would say don't limit your head don't have expectations and I learned this, I dated a running back, okay? I just want this on public airwaves. I dated a running back. And one of the things that this professional running back told me, I said, how can you be this old and you don't have any injuries and you, you work professionally? And he said to me, oh, it's easy, man. I always look for the light. I was like, whoa, that's deep. Deep on another level. That's so deep. He goes, yeah, you just look for the light. So that translates to look for the opportunity. Don't look for the negatives. Don't look for what you can't do. Recognize like, oh, well, there's a doorway there. I know it's weird and unorthodox, and I probably, I don't know, would never do it, but I think I will. Do that. That's it. That's my golden I nugget. Like that. I like that golden nugget. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, sometimes that's, that, I mean, that's very, it's easier said than done. Would you agree? Yeah, you need courage. Right, because you can't, it's not like a doorway that always is like, oh, that's my goal on the other side. I see it right through that doorway. It's just a doorway uh-huh. to something undefined and maybe is not, is not what you think you have been working for toward or, or seems like it might lead oh in a God. different direction. Double or, bar is a prime example of that. Yep. It's like. No, I don't want to own a music store, Kelsey. Mom, can we own a music store? No, I don't want to own a music store, Kelsey. But I really want a music store. Okay. So then we get the music store, and it's been like a wonderful, unbelievable community of the coolest, multi-generations, multi-races, multi-gender preferences, Diversity up the wazoo, music tying the, the, the knot, the bow around all of it, everybody supporting everybody else, and all kinds of music making and, and stuff going on. So I'm, I'm real happy we made that move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things, you and Ryan right now are in the middle of doing a workshop that you guys have done. This is the yep. third or fourth? Fourth. Fourth. fourth? fourth. So it's your voice which premised out of um class voice class voice which is like which is where i met marcel in at umass yeah at umass dartmouth world class within reach (laughs) 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 thank you very much so right but the ryan was in the rhythm section and you had to play every style under the sun right and in so, that rhythm section and it was very cool it was very attractive um to to uh, myself because a lot of the stuff at umass was very jazz so you'd play in latin jazz which is awesome where you do bebop or big band and marcel offered a class for people who liked rock music pop music funk music who who didn't have an avenue to play this and knew that they also wanted to like do this as a living 
Marcel, you used to always say like, this is like your bread. <laughs> this is your bread and butter. You can play whatever seven, eight stuff you want on Thursday. And then you gig <laughs> out on Friday, Saturday and you do this and you'll, and you'll, you'll make money. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of that, that gravitates. Um, but it's a lot of the stuff we do in the authenticity workshop, um, music wise, repertoire wise, is very similar to class voice. We get theater tunes. We get kids who, who kids, you know, students of all ages who do anything from blues to 80s rock and roll to theater tunes to, and to everything in between, which is very similar to what we did before, except yeah. now no everything, band. We, I, we don't really touch classical music. I don't feel like that's my area of expertise. Everything else, though, is like folk music, jazz. Everything else we pop, like modern pop, we cover pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like the big tying piece, so the big shift between class voice, because I did class voice when I was at UMass. You bet. I did. I was in the early years. Let um, me say, take what? me on. <laughs> okay. Um, so did you do the song? I or did that Okay. Because that was the moment. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I actually brought someone in to play marimba for it. And he never bothered to learn the like. It was it was actually very disappointing for me. Do you want to call him out? Yeah. No, I won't. He's listening. You know he knows who he is. <laughs> but the biggest premise, I feel like when you carried it over here was um, when I grew up, um, my mother was always really into um, spirituality and and internal self work essentially and how to how to help that how that guides you as a person in your life and and also in the bigger picture in in culture and and I feel like when you took the class voice concept and and decided to start that general idea here you took that piece of yourself and incorporated it in yes that's why (laughs) because so for me I'm one of those people that has to have a reason why I do what I do it has to like I have to have an intent behind it so I discovered that when you have an intent behind anything that was a lot of how my opportunities opened. What we were talking about, look for the light sort of thing, like opportunities would arise. I realized that I would sort of have this intent that I would carry around with me. And um, then all of a sudden an opportunity would pop open and lo and behold, my intent would manifest in a way that I didn't expect it to, because you can't really package the details. You sort of have to No, let... but I remember a perfect example. So my mother has <clears throat> always been really incredible with this, not just with herself, but with the people around her. And I remember I was at, I was already in college. I was at UMass, and I needed to find a job. And I was, I had dropped, had to be like 25 applications, and I just wasn't getting any callbacks. And... My mother called me and she said, I forgot what you found. It was something. She bent down. She was in Dartmouth. She bent down. She was on one of those Plaza Mall walks. She picked something up. She turned and she looked at the store she was in front of and she goes, 
Kelsey's going to get a job here. And she called me and she told me to go in and apply. And I went in and applied and I was hired like three days later. And it was the most unnerving and kind of cool, but also really creepy, like who you talking to um, experiences. And I've seen her do it more than once. So anyway, that's just like a very tangible example of some of the manifesting Okay, so yeah, that happens. So then I said, what happens if you if you have a, a bigger intent and you actually don't waste your intent on things like for yourself, selfishly, but actually make a bigger intent, like that could benefit a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. possibly make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. So then when I went to Berkeley, I was dealing with students a little bit at UMass, I saw it, but I really saw it at Berkeley. A lot of kids who knew they loved music, but were lost in a sea of, who am I, what am I gonna do with this? And, and, and to the point of causing them extreme anxiety. And it was like clear as a bell, it was like, you have got to manifest something where these artists can find their niche, their groove, their intent, their reason for doing what they do. So then I started exploring, well, why is it being authentic is just something that you are. So why is it so difficult for people to be authentic? Right, so that was gonna be my my question is, is why, why? Is it a culture thing? Is it an age thing? It, like for musicians that you say a lot of them at Berkeley, so 19 to tw- like 18 to 22 or so that you see a lot of, why is it that you see some kids that are students, once again, um, that just feel like they're not authentic? Because I realize that authenticity is always there. It's just the problem is it gets veiled and covered societal expectations, familial expectations, religious expectations, coach, a coach's expectation, a teacher's expectation, sibling, blah, 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 make the list. So what I learned was once you reach authenticity, it's always good. It never gets unveiled and is a negative force. It's always a positive uh, force. But the fear of people to really explore it, it was, was huge. Kids, um, the students that I, were, uh, I was teaching were completely fearful about actually digging in and being who they were in fear of either disappointing someone, being judged from the outside, uh, and, or not having the courage. Which That's, is especially tough in a performing art. Because especially, and I feel like all musicians, but especially singers, because you're the front person, you know, everybody tends to fixate on you and what you're doing, and they tend to develop very strong opinions. Yeah, you're the top line. Yeah. And also, I think part of it, too, is like um, a singer is subject to mass media imaging. Yeah. You know, so if if you've got cellulite, um, if you've got a mustache, if you've got wrinkles or jowls or whatever it is, 
um, you know, society is, um, it's tough on image. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, there's a whole new brand of people coming up who are bucking that, which I'm, you know, I'm all about uh, cheerleading for that because I think that's great. Um, and the other piece to finding your, uh, you know, the authenticity piece musically is, I feel, allowing what you are to, to sort of come out and um, having you be strong enough to protect it in the sense that keep it safe from outside opinion. Um, develop in, with people who are supportive to this when you're in that seedling germinating time right it's important you surround yourself not with people who judge but who celebrate your exploration yeah it's an exploration you're gonna crash and burn you're gonna make mistakes sometimes you'll sound good sometimes not so much but that's an important formative time and to be able to allow yourself to embrace that is 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 critical. Yeah. Um, there are not. That's why double bar is so awesome because I think we specialize in that. I think we let people grow here. I think we do. I feel like we or our, we we do our best. Yeah, I think there's always you know you never have a hundred percent success rate at anything. There's always going to be bumps, you know, in people growing and and back and forth. But it, you know. It's overall, it's it's too, I think this is something when you're talking about uh, authenticity, it ties into to all that, that. It's not gonna be, it's not gonna be perfect, right? One of the things you say before every performance is it's not perfect. This well, is, perfect. we're showcasing, yeah. Yeah, perfect is not it. We're it's showcasing the growth, the, the launching point of these people. And one of the cool things about accompanying this program and watching it just from a sideline point of view is this is not something that you just say. I think it's really easy stuff to say. I think it's really hard stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for all the people just being like, oh, like this is all floaty. Everything's, you know, perfect kind of like life thing, you know, chill. Like, well, you know, there's all Marcel has a massive notebook of all of the students from a weekly basis. OK, well, you said this. This is your intent on day one. How does this tune, the way you're arranging it, how does that go through with the intent? Okay, when does, how does the set list layering of your tunes, how are you conveying the energy from the start of the tune to convey the point? So it's not just a lot of like Words. nothing. There is like, okay, yeah, we're, we have an intent. And part of having, part of really going through with the intent is making sure that you have, you're well-rounded, that you're coming from every single angle. So this thing, this picture is painted not from one point of view but from 20 points of view that has depth to it that yeah. it's not just somebody saying oh i want to come out of my shell it's like what does that mean like how are you using these to come out of your shell how well, are I you doing everything people is, tend to associate authentic, uh, authenticity with like feeling like hold on i'm gonna show my feeling more and it's like they put on a, a feeling performance when sometimes that's not. It's really got nothing. It's, to do it's with got that. nothing to do with it. That's just an emotion. A, it's just an emotion, and yes, you might genuinely be feeling an emotion at some point. But being able to sit with yourself and have that self reflection of of being able to to look at yourself and and know why you are feeling that feeling. What is causing these things to 
to function in this way. I think it's just a much broader, but I feel like for a performer, the go-to when you start the conversation about authenticity is they're like, oh, they want me to feel more. I got to, mm. you know, so here's my performance. I'm going to feel harder. Yeah, and that's like, not what the program's about. Yeah, right? if I could caption, right, if I could get a subtext for, for each, it's your voice. This one, I would say it's your voice for tell a new story. One of the really cool things that, that you've been doing in the program is we have a lot of repeaters. And it's very easy to say, this is my intent. This is my intent. It's like, yeah, but that was the same intent you had two years ago. Like, it's time for you to grow and break out of your shell. You know. So what's been very cool is watching you make sure people are uncomfortable. Um <laughs> My specialty. <laughs> in, a, in a very good way, though, because people are coming to you. People are here. They're coming to you for something. And I think when you're reaching out and you're doing something that's uncomfortable, you then try to, like, make it as comfortable as you can. Right? So, like, I might be diving in, but I don't want to go deep in the deep end. You know, I'm going to – I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to try to make it as comfortable as I can. And right. it's like, no, you're here. Go all in. Well, and I think this is right, the slippery slope that um, authenticity, the concept of things like authenticity, wellness, um, what, are, what are some other, the, like the, the catch words that are, that are big right now? Like what are those? Mindfulness. Is mindfulness, like, mindfulness. Yeah. that was the other one I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. So part of the reason I think they get a bad rap when they in and of themselves are actually not bad things is that people learn the surface layer and then they get to know the terminology really well oh yeah and then they've done the surface layer of work and they have the right words to talk their way through it and i think what you're describing ryan is is essentially that that level of discomfort is like okay well you guys have done this program now and i'm you know you've talked mom you've talked about how you've worked on this with your students individually right this is like okay You've brought this to the table. We've gone to the first layer. They think they're done. Uh And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. That's just layer number one. This is an onion, guys. We're still going. We're still going. This is what they call a lifelong process. You're never really really done. But the good news is you never have to, like, it's not a race. And there's not a tangible amount. Well, if I go through my intent and I work on it for 10 years, I'm done. It's not a, tan- yeah, exactly. it's not a tangible number. So the good news is you don't have to tackle the entire monster at once. You can just peel back one later. You can just take one slice out of it and just keep going and keep going. I think when it's something so big as intent in life, it can almost seem like, like a mountain you can't climb. But all well, you that's... need to do is take one step at a time. Right. And, and, and that... where, what's the goal? Freedom. Freedom, freedom from projections, freedom from expectations of yourself, freedom. freedom. Well, I also think even more like it's not it's not the end goal. It's just like music, which is like there's no end goal there. It's just it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. There's never going to be like, oh, cool. I'm authentic now. Check. (laughs) Yep. Like because your life is going to change. Situations around you are going to change. And and you are going to have to revisit that aspect of yourself. And, and it's, there's a constant revisiting and that is what makes it the journey, which is cool because it actually goes hand in hand really well, I think with music and, and creating and being 
an artistic person, which is it's about the process of creating art, authenticity and, and mindfulness and all those other, you know, cliche things that everybody's like, every time they come out of our mouths, they, they are the same thing. They are the process of getting to know yourself, of getting to know yourself in a small bubble, getting to know yourself in a bigger bubble, in a different context, and and what shifts, what stays the same, why things shift, why things stay the same, why you respond the way you do. And I feel like that directly informs music making. Yeah, well that, and also the, to, see, um, to see music as a tool for moving through things. To be able to say, this is where I am, this is a vibrational art form. I'm going to use this vibration to acknowledge my starting point and then through music move myself out of this pattern into something that's beneficial not only you know in a small scale for me but there are people who have been using mu uh, music to move energy on a large scale for yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, to use music in a way that takes something that's kind of dark and stuck and have music loosen it up and take it apart and make it chaotic to become something more beautiful, I can't think of a better way to, to heal. Yeah, and I, for, for anybody who's listening who's like, yep, I'm, I'm out, I'm gonna go grab something tangible. <laughs> I, I do I do challenge to any musician who who who's kind of listening and getting like the internal kickback that like I think especially from coming from an instrumentalist point of view um you're like yeah that's great but like see this is an this is a chord right it says a minor on a paper I play an a, a minor but like music is abstract like it's you can't you can't just say like oh well I don't know cuz this isn't this isn't, you know, what I'm used to, and I'm used to things that are more like straightforward, and and that's that's fair how how one might think of it, but there's not something you can't grab onto a C note, you can't grab onto all of this stuff. Like everything, sound and creation, and like the feeling that conveys through it is all something that's very abstract, and so to be able to be like to to convey intent through it, like why not? An you know, A why minor not? is a tool. Right. It's in service. If that's what you live for, then you're living in a, in a complete, you know, mind machinations which have no artistic uh, fertility. You need to have a concept, then you grab your tools, mm -hmm. and that's where, we, you know, our proficiency, our training the voice physically, our music theory work, our... Um, whatever you know what else that's a little bit more of a mental practicing disciplined uh activity serves the concept right otherwise you're just going to keep reinventing what other humans have already done and we have enough of that what do you have to say what makes your sound your musicianship different how do you contribute are you just your roots well that's okay if you dig playing 80s rock and roll and that's all you, where you're at, baby, you just play it to death. But you could still play 80, 80s rock and roll and throw your spice on top of that and magical things happen. That's all well, I'm saying. I like to think of, so a gr I feel like a great example of this is actually our teacher, 
Pat Cadero, who's a phenomenal musician. Uh-huh. He has no interest in original writing of any kind for music. He's ne- I mean, he's expressed it to me personally. He's just like, that's never been an avenue that he's ever wanted to go down. So what he does is he takes songs that have already, I mean, he's like, he, he's been the go-to guy for bands to call for fill-ins, for he sings, um, he does amazing arrangements That's of him. instrumental tunes. Him calling now. <laughs> um, so he's, he has all of that going, but he still has an intent and goal that he, he plays from. And a lot of his stuff is really good with his students when it comes to creating a sense of community and inspiration for the upcoming mm-hmm. uh, musical generations to be inspired inspired and have opportunities. He uses it as an outreach to older generations to mm-hmm. connect with people who may have lost the ability to communicate and speak. He goes into nursing homes. So his even though he's not creating something original, he is using his music with the intent of connecting Mm -hmm. to the world around him and helping the world connect to each other. And I think, you know, some people think, oh, I I have to do, you know, my authenticity. Now I write my own songs. Now everything has to be original. And you you don't have to do that. It's just about knowing, having the purpose behind what you do. Yes. Knowing the goal of what you do. And you can sing covers all day. And, And if your intent and your goal is in the right place, then then you can still change the world you live in. The idea is to shine. That's all it is. It's just shine, man. Whoever you are, if you're gonna, if, if you want to um, approach it through a theoretical um, perspective, cool. If you want to pro- approach it more intuitively, cool. You know, ideally, you use both. And it fodders some great creation. But the idea is, however you, whatever your relationship of mu- with music is, know that if you turbocharge it with an intent that's bigger than you, your music will become bigger than you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that is the perfect that's note to end way. it on. Yeah, all right. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, as always... We're gonna we're gonna wind it down with the Strumfler surprise. Okay, uh, <laughs> that was it. That was, that was me. Surprise! I'm the new vocal instructor. <laughs> um, all right, what was your favorite show growing up as a kid? Oh, Bowwinkle. Oh, that's a great pick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. But it's wow. true that. Yeah. I'm torn. I'm torn between two. Avonlea. Do you remember that show? <gasps> oh my God. I loved that show. And Are You Afraid of the Dark? I also really, really? liked that show. Yeah, that lines up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that lines up. <laughs> what about you? Um, that's tough. Uh, there was a show uh, called Wacky Racers for a while. Uh, that was really good. Uh, and then I really liked Tom and Jerry growing up. Yeah. A lot of Tom and Jerry. But I would watch any of those what, Hanna-Barbera cartoons. <sighs> like, oh, yeah, because we had it in the Netherlands. We had a channel on Lou. And so that's what I grew up on. So that's probably the go-to. fairy tales rules. <laughs> so. All right. So 
Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you all, invisible people here listening to us. Hopefully, you'll hear us next time in Vaguely Music. <laughs>